Cool, cool. Well, thanks so much for having me along this evening. It's um, beautiful to come and to share with you. Um, as I was saying, I've got a, a four-year-old, almost four-year-old now. Um, so she's about this tall. She's obsessed with pink. I don't actually know where she got that from. I'm saying that's from my husband's side of the family because it's not from mine. And she's obsessed with dresses. So we've at least got, when you go to kindy, you can't wear a tutu. We've, we've managed that for my win for this year. Um, but she's amazing. But it was um, just after her birth, so almost four years ago now, that I, I caught myself doing something. Do you ever do that? Like you're, you're in the middle of something and you're like, what did I just do? Like, where did that come from? And I caught myself doing something which had become a new habit for me. Now, I, I like to form new habits. I, I wish more of them were helpful habits in my life. This was a not so helpful habit in my life. And so I spent some time reflecting on it because what I'd done was change the channel on the TV. I know. I know you're outraged, right? Shocked. Mind blown. No, no, no. Look, I change the channel on the TV every time there's an add-on. Um, but what I did this time was I changed the channel on the TV because a World Vision ad came on. Now, you've got to understand, I love World Vision. We sponsor World Vision children, all right? I love them as an organisation. I, I love child sponsorship and, and all that goes into it. And, and yet, when this World Vision ad came on, I changed the channel. And I reflected on that over the next couple of days and I wondered, Steph, what's going on that you changed the channel? Like, where has this habit come from? And do you know what I realised? I realised that deep within me, I'd started to form a cultural understanding. That my heart had become accustomed to more cultural understanding of who I was and what I was on about. Because what I was doing by just simply changing the channel, innocently changing the channel, was I was protecting my own personal happiness. Right then in that moment, I did not want to feel uncomfortable. I did not want to be reminded about other people's suffering that might affect how you know comfortable and easy I'm trying to sit in my life in my own little happiness that I have built happiness, hey? Because as a culture, that's what we're told life is about. Happiness. You and I exist, apparently, to pursue a life of happiness. And so this is what we do, right? We go get a job because we think that the job, or at least the money from the job, will make us happy. And you know what happens? It does. For a little while. And then the job that used to make us happy doesn't make us quite so happy anymore and it's totally the job's fault. And so I'm going to quit and go find another job that will make me happy. Or we start a relationship, yeah, because this person is going to make me happy because as a person, that's my life goal is to be happy and this person's going to be able to do that for me. So I get into this relationship and we're both happy and we're happy for a while. So we decide to stand up before people and say, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, to death do us part, we're going to be happy. And then a few years down the track, what happens? He's not happy. She's not happy. And so they get divorced and go and find other people who will make them 
happy. Because this is what we're told our life is about. In fact, if you're a parent, and I know this to be true, and you say that your life, you don't want your children to grow up to be happy, people look at you funny. Try it. Next time you're at the playground, just pretend other kids are yours. If you don't have kids, just, you know, it's my child over there. I don't want them to be happy. Like, you see the looks you will get. There might even be some phone calls, mate. You know? You can't say that. Because as a parent, being a good parent means I want my children to grow up to be happy. And you know what? Some of you kids, you're feeling that. Because that's what you've been told your life is about. And all you need to do to please your parents is be happy. And guess what? You're not happy. But you try and fake it on social media because that's what you're supposed to do. Pretend you've got it all together even though you don't. Pretend I'm happy even though I'm totally depressed and stressed and anxious. And so we're raising this generation upon generation who feel like their entire life is supposed to strive towards this thing which is actually impossible. And no wonder we as a culture just feel so overwhelmed all the time because we're chasing, we're pursuing something that actually isn't attainable. But that's the point of life, isn't it? To be happy. In the New Testament of the Bible, there's four books. They're the, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they tell the story of Jesus. But the fifth book tells the story of the church. It tells the story of his followers. And right at the start of the book of Acts, it's called, Jesus gets his disciples together and he says, hey, hey, look, I've defeated the death. I've risen again. And, and everything you saw me do, all the people you saw me care for, all that you saw me do on the cross, all that you saw me do in my victory as I rose again, everything that I have done, everything I've told you about God, now I want you to go and tell other people that. My message, my mission is now your message and your mission. Ready? Filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to go. And so right early in this book of Acts is this little encounter with a couple of Jesus' followers called Peter and John. And it says this, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one that was called the beautiful gate. Much better than being put by the Dun gate, just for the record. So he could beg for money from people going to the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. Peter and John looked at him intently. How often do you and I stop and look intently into the suffering of others? How often do we stop and we stare and we linger with the brokenhearted, with those hurting, with those who are in pain? How often do we sit and stare in that place? Because I've got to tell you, it is uncomfortable to do. Because the chief reason it's so uncomfortable is because it messes with our personal happiness. It is much easier to change the channel, to walk on the other side, to pretend you didn't hear the beggar call out than it is to stare intently into another person's suffering. Verse 
because it messes with our happiness. How can I be happy if I stare at somebody else's pain? How can I be happy if I notice somebody else's brokenness? So why did Peter and John do it? For the last three years, they had had a crash course in Jesusing, right? They had gone with Jesus everywhere. They'd eaten, they'd stayed with him, they'd watched him do his ministry. And Jesus time and time again went out of his way to get in the way of injustice. Jesus time and time again looked at those that the world would completely overlook. He would stop, he would stare at those who were suffering, who were in pain, who were sick, who were outcast. He would eat with sinners, he would chat to adulterers, he would acknowledge children and women. And time and time again, they had seen Jesus do this. And out of this walking with Jesus, Peter and John had developed this habit, the habit of stopping and staring intently at those that everybody else would just pass by. Man, what a habit. A few years ago, uh, my husband and I, just after we got married, moved to Melbourne. We lived there for three years. We were part of a church plant there. And so we moved around for a few buildings, as you do when you church plant. And then we eventually rented this building, which was on an industrial street. So one side was railway. Right? And the other side was like businesses. So we had like a carpenter, suit manufacturer, bus depot, like you name it, we had it. During the weekend, it was completely dead. All the parking was ours. We were the only place open on Sunday, right? But during the week, when some of us were working there, it was buzzing. And so we went through this um, time of actually really trying to reach out the businesses that were there. And so we used to throw like street Christmas parties and these sorts of things to, to really bless them and get to know them. And one of the things that we did early on was we decided to take morning or afternoon tea to each of the businesses and to sit in their staff room and chat with anybody who wanted to come have morning and afternoon tea and get to know us, which was completely great and completely fine except for four businesses up on the left, was the local brothel. Okay. To our surprise, the bouncer on the door said, yeah, sure. Did he not hear Christian women from the church down the road would like to come and have, I don't know. But he said, yeah, sure. We're like, okay. So we came back at the appointed time, expecting him fully to go, nah. And he let us in. Now, you've got to understand, right? You were looking at, a well, what was a 23-year-old, white, middle caste, grown up in a Christian family. This was my first time in a brothel. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And so I'm walking down this corridor, right? And everything's painted black and all the windows are blacked out and it was, uh. And we walked down and there was a staff room at the end where we kind of put out our coffee and, and sat around and thought, nobody's going to come have coffee with us. Like, but we're here, God. This is the faithfulness you wanted. We are here. And so we sat. And one by one, these women still in their lingerie came and they sat with us. We're like, wow. And then in their very broken English, they started to tell us their stories. And I've got to tell you, to this day, that is one of the most uncomfortable situations I have ever been in. And one of the most remarkable. 
You see, if we live and determine our lives by this pursuit of happiness, which means that we will protect ourselves against anything that makes us feel uncomfortable or threatens our personal happiness, then we will miss out on some of the incredible opportunities that God has for us. Because we won't walk into the brothel. Because we won't stop for the beggar. What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? See, the tension that often arises for us isn't so much around happiness. It's, it's actually around this strange tension we have with suffering. Because when we're pursuing happiness... It seems easy and comfortable and fantastic until we encounter suffering, suffering of others, or even worse, suffering in ourselves. And we can get into this place in our thinking and even our moral framework where we say things like, you know, well, you know, if it makes me happy, it must be right. And if it makes me unhappy, well, it must be wrong. And we can push that framework onto God and it can start to affect our understanding of God where we start to think things like, God's job is to make me happy. That that's why God exists. We start to treat God a bit like a vending machine. I'll put in my prayer, boop, boop, boop. Out comes my answer. Out comes exactly what I want. Out comes my personal happiness, that thing that I want, that relationship that I want, that healing that I want. Whatever it is, we start to treat God as if His job is to make you happy. Because that's the goal of my life. So why wouldn't God want to partner with me in achieving the goal I have for my life? And then suffering comes along. It's like, well, I tried church but I still got sick, so I'm out. I tried prayer, but my friend still died, so no thanks, God. I tried a small group, but my relationship still didn't work, so no thanks, I'm done, I'm out. I'm not giving God another chance to let me down. Because we've got to understand and deal with this idea of suffering. I read a book uh, a little while ago now uh, by a guy called Mark Clark. And he uh, is a Canadian pastor who runs a church for skeptics. So all the people who have really difficult struggle with questions. And he wrote this book about all of those kind of questions. You know, what are the 12 most common questions that he kind of got? And one of them was suffering. Because let's face it, we've all got to work out suffering, don't we? We've got to all have an answer and an understanding of why on earth and how on earth we deal with suffering. And so in it, he talks about some of the major world religions. Yeah, so he talks about New Age. All right, in New Age thinking, suffering isn't real. It's not real. It is something that you need to, it's an illusion you need to transcend beyond. Which sounds fantastic until you've actually suffered. And not, I'm not just talking about, you know, trying to put skinny jeans on after you just had a big hamburger. Like real suffering. You know, real suffering, right? A 
and we go, this isn't an illusion. This isn't just something that's a figment of my limited imagination that I need to expand and be able to go beyond. Suffering is real and it sucks. Or maybe it's Hinduism and we see this seep through so much because karma's philosophy around suffering is that people suffer based on something that they have done in this life or a past life that it means that they deserve to suffer. Yeah, and so this seeps into our language when we say things like good people, uh, good things happen to good people. Yeah, or they'll get what's coming to them. Right, that's all karma. Yeah, that's all the karma way of thinking. There's just a problem with that. I've actually been to India where Hinduism is the major religion and I've walked through the slums and I've held the AIDS babies and I have sat with those suffering with leprosy and karma is the most ridiculous, unjust way of thinking that I can possibly imagine. It sounds good because it sounds like it's justice but it literally says that these children deserve to starve or be sick or die because of something that they've done in a past life and what's worse, you shouldn't intervene to help them because they deserve it, and if you help them, it'll just perpetuate it further. Oh, really? Is that a worldview of suffering that we're okay with? Or maybe it's atheism, because let's face it, atheists struggle with a concept of God, that there is no God. And maybe you've come into this place today and you don't actually know that there is a God. And this suffering idea might be one of the very reasons that you are struggling to accept that there might be a good God, because how could there be a good God when we have evil and suffering? And I love the way that Mark talks about this, where he literally just says, well, who said so? Who said that evil and suffering can't exist and a good God exist. Like who decided that? In fact, maybe it's the fact that there is a good God that you and I actually have a moral framework to be able to look at evil and suffering and pain and injustice and see that there is something wrong. Or maybe you're in this place and you're wondering, does Christianity have anything to offer in this space? You know, you might even be a Christian and yet when you suffer, you don't know what to do with it and you don't know what God's doing with it. And as we look at the Christian story, as we look at the Christian faith, as we look at the life and the words of Jesus, the answer is that suffering is real and it absolutely sucks. And it is not at all what you and I were designed to experience, but it is part of our reality this side of heaven. And suffering, your suffering is not punishment for all of the bad things that you've done like God is so angry at you. It is not. But this is what suffering is. That, that when you and I suffer, when, when we get heartbroken, when we experience pain, when we get disappointed, or sick, or hurt, it's actually in those moments where we can know profoundly that we are not alone. That as we suffer, we are actually held by hands who have suffered. That in those moments when you feel like you might be falling apart, you are actually held together 
by one who understands your suffering and your pain more than you could possibly comprehend. And that it is never meaningless. It's not. We can look at our suffering and we can see the circumstances and the situations and the pain and we can think that there is nothing good that can come out of this. And I want to tell you the most beautiful revelation of Jesus that I just fall in love with every time I think of it is that He is our Redeemer. And that word literally means that on the cross, He was able to restore what was broken, not because we'd done anything amazing or capable or anything that we could boast about, but because He paid the entire price Himself. He gave it all. Not just so that you and I could be on par in a relationship with God. No. So that we could be restored back to what God had hoped for our relationship in the first place. And so when Christ looks at our suffering and He says that that sucks, He also looks and goes, I will not allow this to be a meaningless part of your story. But out of that suffering, He can give us strength that we didn't know that we could have, but gee, we're going to need. He can give us skills and tools and wisdom and He can give us a story that will bring hope to somebody else as they might suffer. You see, our suffering is the place where we encounter Christ holding us, but it's also the place where we encounter Him redeeming our story again for His glory. You see, pursuing happiness has to deal with this idea of suffering. But what if pursuing happiness isn't actually what we were built for? Micah 6.8 says, um, Oh, no, all people, the Lord has told you what is good. What was it? To be happy, to accumulate wealth and family and security and to have beaches, holidays, and maybe a little dog. No. What is good? What does the Lord require of us? What will bring meaning and purpose to our lives is to do what is right, or to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You see, what's the real purpose that we should be pursuing. It's not happiness and personal satisfaction and pleasure. It is what Peter and John did, which was to walk with Jesus day in and day out. And the strangest thing's gonna happen, that as we're on that walk, oh, we would start to pick up this habit, this habit of seeing those that other people overlook. This habit, this habit of stopping and staring intently into the suffering of others. You know, some of you young people, you have been told that your job is to be happy and you need to do what you can to get the right jobs, the right relationships, the right opportunities in order to be happy. And I want to tell you that the only thing that improves when you get older in the state, happiness stakes is that you get to choose your own snacks in the cupboard. <laughs> Legit, CC's all the way, man. That's it. 
If you're literally waiting to grow up, to, to do these things, to try and be happy because that's what you've been told you will do, guys, it's going to suck. It is going to be worthless. You are going to end up more frustrated and depressed. But here's what you can do. You can choose, you can choose to walk with Jesus. And in doing so, he will mess with your personal happiness at every turn because he will make you see the needs of others. He will mess with your comfortableness and your own dreams and your own purposes because he will make you look and stare intently at the needs of the injustices around the world. And guess what? It'll make you upset. It'll make you angry. It'll make you frustrated. It'll probably make you a bit overwhelmed at times. But it'll make you a lot more like Jesus than happiness ever will. Do you know right now in Australia, there are 105,000 people who are homeless. Men, women, children. No home, no safe place to stay. Did you know that there are more slaves in the world today than at any time in human history? Any time. You think slave trading was bad? Now is worse. All right? It outstrips guns and drugs in the world economy. Right now. While we're being happy over here. Did you know that many countries still have alarmingly low rates of education? Especially amongst girls. Right now. That worldwide... There are more than 700 million, that should say, women alive today who were married as children, with one in three of those before the age of 15 years old. Some of you are 15 years old. You want to be married to some old guy? One in three women in Australia have experienced physical or sexual violence perpetrated by somebody that they know. Over uh, 134,000 Australians will be diagnosed with cancer this year. In 2016, there were 46,000 marriages that ended in divorce. That's 92,000 people and families and children. And we are experiencing the largest refugee migration of any time in in the past, right now in our generation. Over 4 million Australians have a disability that causes them to be disadvantaged. And worldwide, 215 million Christians face persecution every single day. While you and I are here trying to just be happy. And so three years ago, as I sat on the couch and I realised that I had started trying to live my life to protect my personal happiness... I realised that I wasn't walking the way that Jesus had intended. And so I decided to make just one simple change. Okay, my kids are little, I can't watch the news because it will freak them out. But I flooded my Facebook page. Yeah, so I got on SBS, ABC News, I put on Open Doors and A21 and World Vision and Compassion. I put all of these organisations on my Facebook page and I told, tell me your stories. And I made myself watch them. I made myself read them. 
Especially if I looked at it and went, oh, I don't want to hear that story. I made myself do it. And a number of people knew I was doing this. They're like, look, don't go too far. Don't overwhelm yourself. You might break. And I remember thinking, you know what? If I have built this protection around me to protect myself from my own personal happiness so that I can be nice and safe, but it means that I don't have the dignity to listen to other people's stories, to stare into their suffering, even just for a moment as I scroll my Facebook feed, then something's wrong. So I decided that I wanted these stories to crack my personal happiness barrier, to allow them to penetrate and to, to break it a little, to, to allow myself maybe through those cracks as I looked out, to see a suffering to see a need, to, to see an injustice, to see somebody who was hurting, who God wanted me to stop and to stare intently into their story, into their suffering. What are you living for? What am I living for? Are we living for this pursuit of our personal happiness that we will protect at all costs, even if it means ignoring the brokenness of others? Or, or are we picking up our habits from Jesus? Are we stopping when others walk by? Are we sitting in the uncomfortable place and saying, tell me your story? It's a hard place to be in. But can I tell you, especially if you're young, if you can get this, if you can get that your life could not be about pursuing just your personal happiness because that's what culture tells you you need to do, but rather you could abandon your happiness for the sake of others, that wow, wow what God will do with your life. Not when you're pursuing comfort, but when you're pursuing Jesus. Wow. And if you're in this space today and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, I, I'm still working this thing out, then here's what I want you to understand. Christianity is not a religion about being happy or rich or comfortable. In fact, Jesus promised us all of the opposites. But he also promised us to hold us when we suffer to bring hope out of the hard stories that we experience. And that as we give our lives away for the purpose of his journey, we encounter him in incredible and amazing ways. Much more rich and satisfying than the happiness you and I would ever find. Let me pray for you. Jesus, as we sit in this space tonight, Lord, as we dwell in your presence, we can feel quite confronted. Lord, maybe some of us have been living and striving, trying to work out how to, how to live a, a life that makes us happy how to find that thing that, that we know will, will bring happiness and fulfilment only to find out that it doesn't over and over again. And Lord, we want off that cycle tonight. So Lord, I want to pray right now 
for every single person in this room who would choose to ask the question, what am I pursuing? What am I pursuing tonight? Lord, some of us have given our lives to you and yet we're still pursuing happiness. Others of us might be sitting here realising that that which we've been chasing just isn't, isn't worth it. And maybe in this space we're recognising that, Lord, your love and your grace and your forgiveness for us means that we get to spend a lifetime walking with you. Come, Holy Spirit. In this moment, as we sit in this place, come and speak to our hearts. Challenge us on that happiness we have been pursuing, Lord. Challenge us instead to pursue you. To notice those who the world overlooks, to give dignity and value where others have stripped it away, to restore people, to lift them up and to dare to allow our hearts to be changed and challenged by their stories. Crack the protections we've made around our personal happiness, Lord, as we give that away in pursuit of you. If you're in this space tonight and you've been living your life for yourself, but you've been wondering if there's something more and tonight you're realising that that something more that you've been looking for is actually a relationship with Jesus. Maybe the Jesus you had in your mind was punishing you with the suffering you've experienced. And tonight you're hearing that He is holding you through it. Maybe the idea of Jesus you had was was somebody who rejected and neglected others. It was all about moral teaching and not about being with. And tonight you're hearing that this is a Jesus who will stop, who will stop to meet you in your suffering, who goes out of His way to encounter you, even tonight, in this moment, so that you can be helped, so that you can be free. If that's you and you want to start that relationship tonight, then I simply want you to do this. I'm going to pray a prayer and in your heart, I want you to pray these words after me. Dear Jesus, I thank You for who You are. And I thank You that You redeem me, that on the cross, You have taken all of my sins and I give them to You. And that You rose again to conquer them so I can have a relationship that I was created for. Lord, as You forgive me, help me to start a new way of walking with You. Help me to pick up Your habits, Lord. Help me to connect with You. 
and help me to see those who you notice, even though the world overlooks. Thank you for this new relationship. In Jesus' name, Amen.